Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, you are the lamb that was slain. And because of that, you are almighty. We honour you, God. We love you. We put you in your rightful place. Holy are you. Pure, lovely. Church, I, I don't know what you've walked into church like this week but whatever it is whatever it is you're contending with whatever the challenge is that you're facing right now the lamb is mightier he is bigger than your circumstances we talk in the scripture about magnifying the Lord, that means making him bigger than whatever it is you're encountering so this week, this coming week know that Jesus Christ the lamb that was slain, is bigger than what you are facing. Invite him in to whatever it is you are contending with. Thank you, creative team. If you'd like to take a seat. Hello, Macquarie. Happy Valentine's Day. How are you all? Um, Don't tell Carly this. I know she's in the front row, but I've got a surprise plan for her tonight. Uh, (laughs) It's very romantic. We're going to sit on the couch and just stare at our smartphones. Um, let me tell you, if I, if I worked at a restaurant tonight, I would go around popping fake engagement rings in all the girls' champagne glasses. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I need to behave. Um, I've got a tactic to save money this Valentine's Day. I'm going to try and make myself as unlovable as possible. Um, <laughs> don't you laugh, Grant Atherton. You made toast. Anyway, um... I've been challenged this week. God's getting stuck into me about how we're all starting to come back to church. We're all leaving isolation and starting to gather again. And some of us are learning how to be a congregation again because for the last 12 months, church has been on a screen. And whilst we are leaving isolation, the challenge that he's giving me is, has isolation left me? Can I encourage you, church? We need you. We need you together. We need fellowship. You need fellowship. You need the community that Macquarie is. We need need people to serve. There is a fulfillment that comes from contributing to the kingdom of God, and service is a way to do that. And God's encouraging me, how can I serve? How can I be more involved? So that's my challenge for you. Think about how we can rebuild the church as in some ways we start from afresh. Obviously with the service it'll be COVID safe of course, we'll make sure you've got masks and sanitizers and all that, don't you worry about that. But that's my challenge that God is trying to work the isolation out of me. Um, We're talking about vision, we're going to continue the vision theme of hope. For 2021, our vision is hope and as you've walked in on the bridge you would have seen a passage from Romans 5 on the bridge and we'll read from that in a minute. But hope is our word for the year. And over the last month or so, I've heard a lot of people saying, hey, it's 2021, good riddance 2020, yay! Brand new start, everything's fresh, everything's new, all the bad stuff's gone away. But it hasn't. (laughs) There's still things happening, there's still challenges that have carried over into the new year. Things aren't necessarily as fresh or as new as we thought. My heart goes out to my friends and family in Melbourne with what's happening there. 
There's still things ahead for us to conquer in 2021. And as believers, we need to cherish and protect our hope. Because for many, 2020 saw hope removed. We saw hardship and disappointment come in as unexpected and, and unwelcome guests. And there's a generation out there, I know from what I do out in the workplace, there's a generation struggling, uh, mentally unhealthy, downcast. And we, the church, are called to be dealers of hope. And in order to give that hope, to distribute that hope, uh, we need to have hope ourselves. So this year, Macquarie, we're going to explore hope. We're going to explore the ways in which God gets his hope to us and through us. I've got a picture of him up on the screen, please, Scotty. This is a world-renowned American neuroscientist. He's the chief professor of neuropsychology at the University of Southern California in the US. He's the head of the renowned Brain and Creativity Institute. And he's on TED. Who watches TED Talks? He's a bit of a rock star on TED. He's got millions of views with some of the stuff that he puts out. He has published academic volumes, uh, evidenced research papers on human cognition and decision-making. And his findings have shown, get this, 95% of the time a person makes a decision, it is their feelings or emotions that primarily decide for us. 95%. The average person makes uh, 35,000 decisions a day. It can be as simple as, do I feel like a muffin? (laughs) All right, done. Some of these decisions, though, are much more complex and have bigger consequences. And right now, people are making life-altering decisions based out of a depressive state, out of fear, out of negativity. And my question, and I'd ask you to ask yourself this, would you trust someone who lied to you as much as your feelings do? Part of making wise decisions is actually having a positive view of the future. And people need hope. And to be honest, hope is is less about psychology and more about theology. Because we serve a God who can turn things around. So let's launch into some scripture. Our passage for the year is Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. But I want to start from verse 1. It'll come up on the screen. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Next one, please, Scotty. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You'll note in verse 2, Paul talks about the hope of the glory of God. That isn't just optimism. It's not just, gee, I hope I have a nice day. Gee, I hope the nights have a good season, all that sort of jazz. It's a different hope. It's a hope that the glory of God is revealed. God's character is put on display. That's what glory means. It's a Romans 8, 28 based hope. Let's have a look at that one next. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
The hope in the glory of God is a confidence that God takes what happens, the disappointments, the heartbreaks, the setbacks, and works it into something that reveals his goodness through it all. Sometimes that means things don't work out the way we want them to, or the way we expect. But we have hope that he is working it all out for an ultimate or eternal good. We also read in verse 2 where Paul talks about standing on the grace that this brings. And that's the key. I need to be up front. Grace is the key to all of this. But please understand, grace doesn't work like magic. Grace works through truth. And there's some truths here in Romans 5 where Paul points out how grace can change us into being people of hope. So let's have a look at those truths. The first truth, suffering produces perseverance. Yay! Woohoo! What a lovely starting point. <laughs> there's no such thing as a trouble-free Christian experience. Salvation is not a fairy tale. And for some of us, for many of us, and I know some of the stories, the life experiences and the heartbreaks in this room right now, there is pain in the offering. Pastor J.D. Greer from Summit Church in Carolina says this, the only way to have a pain-free life is to have a love-free life and Christianity moves us towards love, not away from it. There are times it's going to hurt. Happily ever after might be something that we don't experience until eternity. In fact, get this, Jesus makes us a promise. Let's go to the next one, please, Scott. In this world, you will have trouble. We talk a lot about the promises of God. Well, let me tell you, this one, that's a ripper. That's a beauty. It's not, if we can go to the next one, please, Scott, you're not likely to see on someone's Instagram feed with a beautiful sunset in the background. I'm going to post this tonight and I'll get back to you next week about how many likes I get. Um, yeah. Paul doesn't debate about whether we'll experience hard times. It's a given. If you read through the New Testament, Peter, John, Paul, Jesus were all threatened, were all harmed. Paul was persecuted, beaten up, thrown in jail. Jesus... God himself was beaten, spat on, whipped and scourged and ultimately crucified. I don't want to sign up some days. But somehow he works that together for good. Jesus isn't a guaranteed escape from your troubles, but he is a guarantee that your troubles have a purpose. There is a reason why. We may not find out until ultimately we've carked it, but there is a reason why. In some translations, you've got the word suffering in your Bible, but some translations have the word tribulations. That comes from the Latin word tribulum. If we can get the next one up, please, Scott. A tribulum is a wooden threshing board that has broken metal shards and pieces of flint hammered into it. And then they hook that threshing board up to mules or, or oxen and the farmers uh, drag it across their grain yields to scrape out the edible useful grains of wheat from the chaff, from the husks that they would later burn in the fire. And they'd use a tribulum to separate out what is important from what is not. And that's what tribulations do. 
That's, frankly, that's what sufferings do. They separate out stuff. They show us what's important. And quite lovingly, sometimes God will allow circumstances to drag and scrape over the top of you to uncover the good stuff, the perseverance, the character, and ultimately, hope. Through that tribulation, tribulation process for us, we should be looking to Jesus to find strength and sufficiency in him because quite literally, Jesus was tribulated for us. You know how in the tribulum there's uh, shards of metal and flint? When they were scourging and whipping our saviour, it was a whip called a flagellum. It's like a cat of nine tails that had in each of its strands metal and flint. And because Jesus underwent tribulation for us, that is the sole reason that any of this hope is possible. Struggles and suffering aren't the enemies of hope, but rather the building blocks of hope. Because over time, your faith gets stronger, like uh, tempered steel. You heat it, you heat it, you heat it, you heat it, the brittleness comes out of it, it gets stronger, uh, the internal stress points are decreased. It's like that with your faith. As you go through these trials, God is making your faith more and more unbreakable. Because you find out how strong you really are, you tap into a divine strength you didn't even know was available, and you take comfort knowing that you're growing into a stronger version of yourself. Um, listen, please don't think you're weird if life is hard. Please don't assume that you are doing something wrong. I know a lot of Christians are under this oppression, oh, life sucks, it must be me, I'm doing something wrong. Where's my hidden sin? If things were always easy, you might think it's all thanks to you. If the process was quick and straightforward, you may be tempted to take the credit, or in biblical terms, the glory, for yourself, when it's all his. It's all his. When things are hard, God isn't punishing you, he is preparing you. So persevere. Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church in the States says this, sometimes in God, a preparation comes packaged in pain. Okay, let's move on to the second truth. Let's get on to some more positive stuff. Let's go to the next one, please, Scott. Perseverance produces tested and true character. You probably don't have the words tested and true in your Bible, but the Greek word there, doikame, actually means proven to be tested and true. So it's not just, oh, he's a bit of a character. It's you've come through the fire and you are standing. When you go through tribulation, you persevere, there is an authenticity in your faith. It has been tested. It has been scraped over by a tribulum and you've made it. You've come through the storm and there is a provenness to your character. I tend to feel like I'm in safer hands when I sit under the ministry of someone who's done the hard yards. Carly and I often talk about the wounded soldier. There's a reassurance when you're being ministered to by a wounded soldier that they have come through something and stood firm. Christian get this, Christian character is not inherited. You haven't got your Christian character from your parents. It's not taught. It doesn't come through Bible study. It doesn't come through knowing the scriptures back to front. It doesn't come through serving on every roster under the sun. Christian character doesn't even come through prayer. It comes through testing. It comes through walking dark roads, hardship. And coming through with your faith intact, dare I say it, even thriving. Because hope's like a muscle. It won't grow strong if it's not used. 
And God grows our hope when we're forced to look to the future with faith instead of trusting in ourselves right now. Let's go to the third truth. Tested and true character produces hope. When your faith's been under pressure and it's persevered, when your walk with God has been proven as genuine and authentic because you are still standing, when you figure out, hey, I'm not a fake Christian, I actually believe this stuff and I've seen it work in my life, then you start dragging a tangible hope that God is with you and that you are really his child. Over 10 years ago, when we were originally part of Macquarie, when we used to meet and congregate as the church in that building, which is now the cafe and the foyer, I had a faith crisis, a big old faith obstacle that held me back from actually believing in the hope of God. I was convinced that I was a hypocrite. I had excelled at Bible college. I knew Christian stuff back to front. I had the head knowledge, I had the theology all down pat. But deep down... I was all at sea, thinking, maybe my faith is actually fake. (laughs) Maybe it's just cultural. Maybe I'm a Christian by culture only. And that I'm using Christianity as a means of fitting into the social circle here. That I'm using Christianity to be part of the groupthink so that you lot would accept me. I thought about how I kind of just inherited Christianity from my mum. I was comfortable in church in a Christian environment, in a church setting. It was familiar to me. This was my turf. I knew the lingo. I knew the expected behaviours. I knew the traditions. I knew the customs. You name it. And I had many well-meaning Christians, none, none of them here. Is this being recorded or broadcast? Because <laughs> they've all gone to Hope You See. Um, so, well, a lot of well-meaning, a lot of well-meaning Christians... A lot of of well-meaning Christians would come up to me and say, oh, listen, Craig, don't depend on your own strength. Just depend on the strength of God. (laughs) You know how sometimes when people come up to you and they want that deep and meaningful, no, this could go for longer than five minutes. You go, I'm going to pray for you, depend on God's strength, and you run to the car park as fast as you can. I had no idea what it meant to rely on the strength of God. What is this this mythical thing I can plug into and find new muscles that I never knew that I had. And then Melbourne happened to us. There's a quote from Corrie ten Boom, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Uh, About six years ago, Carly and I were slow dancing in our bedroom in Melbourne. The Beatles' Here Comes the Sun was playing in the background. And there were tears streaming down our faces and I was wailing, weeping, fearing that I was going to lose my wife, fearing that I was going to lose the mother of my son. We just found out that we needed to start an unwanted journey through aggressive cancer. Two years before that point, we'd seen our dream church ministry collapse in front of our very eyes. We saw our little boy our little Parker, who will shortly be running through this place like a maniac, at eight days old, need open-heart surgery to save him, to just get him across the line. And I'd never had a season where I had cried out to God so much. We felt like a young David. We tackled a lion. We tackled a bear. Now we were getting a glance at our Goliath 
and I couldn't see any smooth stones or any slings lying around. And the only thing I had was God. And I would cry out to God and I prayed this prayer, Hey God, why don't you try a different strategy with me? Why don't you try a new tactic? Why do you continually use suffering to change me? Can't you make me more Christ-like through ridiculous, outrageous blessing? (laughs) I would be a wonderful disciple if I drove to church in an Aston Martin. (laughs) Step by step, over the years, and many of you were part of the healing process, God dragged us through that. And the people that I love literally have scars to prove it. We are still here. There is a steadiness and assuredness to my faith now. And God is pruning cultural Christianity, churchianity, out of me. I still don't like the journey, but I know he's at work. You are here. You've turned up. I know many of you have walked through stuff and are walking through stuff, and yet you keep turning up. You are still participating in church. You are still worshipping, you are still serving, you are still giving, you still believe, even after the world was turned upside down over the last year. That's a victory. That's the strength of God. The fact that you've turned up here is evidence that you have hope. Well done. It's building your character. Coming through trials and troubles, you realise you're stronger now, you realise you're wiser now, you realise you're more compassionate now. God has sustained you and proven himself more and more to you and out of that proven reliability comes hope. Let's go to the fourth truth. Hope doesn't disappoint. You may have that in your translation. Suffering isn't the end of the story because the lamb that was slain will always have the final word. Paul goes on to say, hope does not put us to shame, it doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. For me, this is one of the most important verses in Romans. It's the first mention in Romans of the Holy Spirit and it's the first mention in Romans of the love of God. If you read the first four chapters of Romans, (laughs) they're brutal, they are savage. It is hard theology rammed down your neck. And now Paul introduces the Spirit of God and the love of God. And your hope, grounded in a proven authentic faith, won't let you down because the Spirit of God that has been poured into you testifies to the immense love that God has for you, the plans he has for you, the future he has for you. You've seen this. You've seen Christians go through a hard time, go through suffering. And even as people of faith, they end up coming out of it filled with anger, filled with resentment, shaking their fist at God. What's the difference? As Paul explains here, the difference is in seeing that your suffering is actually evidence of God's love, not God's wrath. Ask the people here who've gone through suffering. Look, there's moments where the pain is so hard that it's tricky to believe God is pouring his love into you. But through those tribulations, believe it or not, God is doing this out of sheer love for you to pull out the grains, to pull out the useful stuff and ultimately to make you more like his son. 
the Holy Spirit is the first and best installment of God's love in our hearts. And if we're open to him, he will remind us through God's presence that his love is there as a constant, as a depending, as, as something we can depend on. Because hope doesn't put us to shame. You, you won't be left standing at the altar. You won't be stood up. The lion and the lamb are coming. And one day we will stand before him and all of our hope will be fulfilled. His glory will be revealed. And everything here, everything here, will find a clarity that we need. I heard it said, hope is experiencing the future now. It's on its way. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting emotional. What's this salty discharge coming from my eyes? Um, I want to finish off with a word study because I'm a nerd. Let's have a look at what the word hope means in Hebrew, the original language. We can get the next one up. The word hope in Hebrew is tikva, a very interesting word in the original language. Hebrew is a concrete language. It doesn't have words for abstract ideas. Hebrew uses tangible words that help you understand almost visually what something means. So in Hebrew, get this, the second meaning of the word hope is hope, to wait with patience. The primary meaning, the one that they would put forward first, is that hope is a rope. It's a cord of strength made from multiple strands twisted together. We see Tikvah mentioned in Joshua 2. Joshua's preparing to lead Israel into the promised land. He sends two spies ahead into the promised land to figure out what's going on and they take refuge at the house of Rahab, the prostitute. She hides them, she conceals them in her home. The king of Jericho finds out about these two spies and sends his armies to Rahab's front door saying, give them up, hand them over. But Rahab, through conviction, hides the spies on her roof under some palm fronds because where else would you rather be? Because of that, Rahab is in a vulnerable place. She is fearing for her life. She needed hope. She asks the spies, when the Israelites come to take the city, swear an oath to me that you'll save my life and that of my family. The spies say, yeah, sure. Here's what you can do. Lower this scarlet rope out of your window so that we can escape. When we escape, leave the rope there. The armies of Israel will see the rope and they will give you safe passage out of the city. You will be spared, as will your family. The scarlet rope gives us a picture of what hope is like in God. The rope was Rahab's only hope of her household surviving. And sometimes being in relationship with God is like grasping onto a rope, holding on for dear life. We cling to him even when we can't see the next step. I'm not great at this yet. Please don't look at me as any sort of Christian spiritual expert. I, I, I am learning to rest in God. I am learning to trust the suffering process. I am learning that the pressures I face is part of what God is using to make me more like his son. Sometimes, frankly, it sucks. But it's the process that gets me home. It's the rope that I cling to to make it. 
Let me give you a more literal spin on a verse that you may be very familiar with. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a rope. Hope is not taking a deep breath and just wishing that things will all turn out all right. Hope is not buying a lotto ticket and hope that that's how God provides. Hope is an assurance that God will do what he has promised to do. It is a strength. Because hope doesn't actually depend on the outcome. Hope depends on God. What matters is who the rope is is tied to. It is tied to God who is immovable, who is sturdy, who is permanent. And he is there for you. I'll close with a quote from John Piper. Darkness comes. In the middle of it, the future looks blank. The temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You are in good company. You will argue with yourself that there is no way forward, but with God, nothing is impossible. He has, get this, he has more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits than you can conceive. Wait, pray without ceasing, and hope. Let's pray. God, help us to see the ropes that are dangling in front of us. Help us to see the future, the plans, the promises that you have for us. Sometimes, God, we need to tie a knot in that rope and cling on for dear life. I pray for everybody here, every family that they represent, that you would be our hope, that you would be our immovable, unshakable rock to which that hope is tied. Jesus, we thank you and we honour you for quite literally being tribulated for us. The gift that that is to us gives us that grace that we can now stand. And I pray that your glory, your character, who you are, is revealed through each one of us as we cling, sometimes by our fingernails, but we cling to you. I ask God that we would sense your presence over this coming week, that we would know the Holy Spirit that has been poured into us, that it would scream your love into our spirit into our heart, into our mind, and we would have no doubt that your hope does not disappoint. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're in this state of prayer, I'd ask you to keep your eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you need hope. Frankly, you need a rope. You need something to cling to. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what the reality is when you walk out the doors, you walk past the nice hope sign on the windows there, you get in your car and you drive home. But maybe you need hope. Can I tell you, for us, that hope is Jesus. For us, it is the future that he has won for us on the cross that gives us a new start that gives us a new plan, a new promise, a new purpose. He has that purpose for you. He can put definition into why you are going through what you are going through. And he can reveal his character to you in the face of whatever circumstances you are contending with. So maybe today's the day. Maybe this morning it's time to become 
a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who entrusts their life to the love and the leadership of God. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. We've got people here who want to help you. We want to get resources to you. We want to get you started on this journey. And if I can pray for you, I'm going to count to three in a minute and I want you to put your hand up. We'll spot it. Someone on the team here will reach out and say hello. We're not going to be too invasive. We just want to help. We just want to introduce you to Jesus. Maybe reintroduce you to him. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you. Here we go. One. If it's you, put your hand up. Two. Maybe today's the day. Three. Father, I thank you for the beautiful people of Macquarie. And I thank you that you have called us to a year of hope. Make that hope tangible, God. Show us what it means for you to be revealed in our lives. We love you, God. We honour you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macquarielifechurch.com.au.